Hey everybody, coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, I interview a, a friend, a mentor, Dr. Shelley Hoover. She's a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a daughter, a sister, a friend. She's a veteran, an author, an educator, and an advocate. It's what she does, and it's who she is. And in 2013, her neurologist told her that she only had two to five years to live. And after a year of trying to figure out what was slowly happening to her body, Shelley was diagnosed with ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. Some call it the Ice Bucket Challenge disease, but from her website, and I quote, Whatever you call it, it's a fatal diagnosis with no effective treatment or cure, yet I have much to live for, and I'm determined to live in gratitude and joy, regardless of circumstance. I feel alive while I'm encouraging others to live their best life. Today she talks about her book, Timeless Sisters, and she truly does just live that message. She feels alive when encouraging others to live their best life, and I think you will be more determined to live your best life after hearing this interview today. I can't wait to share this with you. Coming up next on The Virtual Couch. Hey, everybody, I'll make this one quick. Now, as a therapist myself, of course, I recommend that everybody give therapy a try. Truly, we're all hanging on to some things that would be helpful to process, or there's things in our life that we might, uh, maybe we thought we'd achieve by now, or there's things that we desperately want to achieve so that we won't live a life full of regrets. Or there are people listening right now who may be noticing that their anxiety or their depression is getting a tiny bit more, let's call it amplified, the longer that it's left untreated. You owe it to yourself or those around you, to your spouse, your kids, and actually, I guess, really the most important person is you to at the very least give therapy a try. So if you're nervous about finding the right fit, if you're worried about bumping into somebody in a therapy waiting room, if you have any worries about therapy, might I recommend that you go immediately to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, all one word, and take a look at the world of online therapy. Go check out what over 500,000 people have already done before you and uh, sign up right now. Go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You'll get the help that you need. You'll get 10% off your first month services. They have a broad range of expertise and their counselor network, which might not be locally available in many areas. The service is available wherever you live. It's worldwide and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You can get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you don't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Although I maintain that my waiting room is very nice and comfortable. Betterhelp.com will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist and they have therapists that that specialize in everything all kinds of things ocd anxiety depression they use modalities such as acceptance and commitment therapy my favorite and you can start communicating typically in under 24 hours they're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed nothing awkward about that whatsoever so uh, if you do go through betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, again, you'll receive 10% off your first month services. So what are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself. And at the very least, just go check it out. Go ahead, pause the podcast right now. Go do it. I'm not going anywhere. Um, now let's get to the show. Therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four ultra marathon runner, and co-author of the now best-selling book. He's a porn addict. Now what? An expert and a former addict answer your questions, in which I play the role of the expert and creator of the Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography or any type of compulsive sexual behavior. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based 
Hold the shame, become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all again. That's pathbackrecovery.com. And a quick story to stress the importance of the Kindle version of the book, He's a Porn Addict Now What, that came out about a week or two ago, because uh, I will be very honest, I know that there have been a lot of people that say they would love to read the book, um, people that are struggling maybe with uh, some sort of uh, pornography addiction problem, compulsive sexual behavior, or it really speaks to the betrayed, the spouse that is going through that sort of uh, disclosure, um, that experience as well, but they don't want it laying around on their coffee table. So the Kindle version has been selling very well, but I just was in Salt Lake City over the weekend, and I just last minute, of course, I threw a couple of copies of the book because I was speaking at a podcast festival and a couple of other events, and I throw them in my carry-on bag. You probably can already see where this is going. This is such a true story. My wife will testify to this, but whose bag gets uh, signaled out to kind of do a random check it's mine. And so he opens up the, um, the the suitcase, my luggage, and they're laying on top. He's a porn addict. Now what? And uh, and the guy looks at the book. He just he's very kind. Bless his heart. Just does a little bit of a glance up to me. And I just say, hey, I'm actually I wrote that book. And then he uh, oh, do you Tony Overbay. And I, and I said, yes. Uh, yeah. And then I laughed and I thanked him because that made for a better story. But uh, also it just I can understand that if certain people if there's some um, embarrassment or there's some shame around that or for people that are, that are dealing with that or struggling with that or want to know more. So please go get the Kindle version. It's about half the cost of the paperback. Also, the hard copy is out as well, which is uh, is kind of neat to see. And please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram. You can find the Virtual Couch page as well on Facebook and uh, also Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed any of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please do me a favor and share that with people or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you want to do a rating um, or review, that would uh, I would just be forever grateful for that. I truly would. And on that note, I wanted to start reading a couple of the reviews, and I'll make this really quick. Here's a review that just came in a couple of days ago, and uh, it's just simply titled, Thank You. It says, This podcast has been one of the most influential tools in my tool belt for understanding family members and friends and discovering the parts of myself that I thought were broken. I'm not in a season of my life to go back to school yet, so I am like a sponge with all this content and uh, and have loved it. So I, I'm so grateful for those type of reviews, and uh, those reviews do help get the podcast in front of a lot of people. So if you have a moment and there's something that you feel like you would like to share, then uh, please feel free to leave that review. And a quick thank you to everybody who came out to hear me speak in Salt Lake City over the weekend. I spoke at the Outlier Podcast Festival, which was I had a wonderful group of fellow podcasters and aspiring podcasters there to collaborate and share ideas. And then I had a, an opportunity to record another episode of Kurt Frankham's podcast, Leading Saints. And the topic that we covered, I think, is one that um, it just truly needs to be talked about. And I'm honored. I'm grateful that he asked me to help him address the topic. And uh, I know that sounds a bit like a tease, but I'm excited for that episode to air and look for that coming in the next few weeks if you're not familiar with Leading Saints, I would highly recommend you go look at uh, that podcast from Kurt Frankham and uh, maybe binge a little bit on the back catalog and, and get yourself uh, caught up. And then I finished the weekend by speaking to a wonderful group of people Sunday evening on a topic I am passionate about, compassion, empathy, love, self-acceptance. And I'm going to make that talk available soon. So look for more information on that if you want to be the first to know about when that will be available. Uh, it won't be released as a regular podcast episode. So just please head over to TonyOverbay.com and sign up for my newsletter and you'll be the first one to know where to find that. Okay, so today I interviewed, today's episode is I, I interviewed someone I can honestly say is a bit of a hero of mine. Her name is Dr. Shelley Hoover, and Shelley and I met around, I think it was 2012, 
when she had taken over as the principal of my kid's middle school, um, Glenn Edwards Middle School, also known as Jim's. And you'll hear us refer a little bit to Jim's during the interview. And, uh, you know, actually, let me read a post that I made on Facebook prior to interviewing Shelly a couple of weeks ago, because I think this will set the context for the interview. So in the post, I included a picture of Shelly and I, um, an assistant principal named uh, Ray, and then my wife. And we look a little bit celebratory. We're standing on the track, I think, at some point during the day. Um, and, and so I say that this photo was taken um, from May 5th, 2012, at the start of, I believe, what was the second year of my then-annual Gems 24-hour track trek, an event designed to raise money for the school. The first year had been a bit bumpy, but the second year we really hit our stride thanks to the new administration that had come in and brought an incredible amount of enthusiasm and positivity to the school. Heading up that administration was new principal Shelley Hoover, and I believe it was at this run that Shelley did a few laps around the track one-on-one with me, and we talked about what the event would look like well into the future. And I'm still reading my post, I don't, but it says, don't get me wrong. At the start of one of these events, I was off the wall, excited and full of enthusiasm. And there on that track, I felt I had met someone that could truly uh, or that could easily top my positivity. I may not have the timing right, but she said that she intended to spend a lot more time on the track with me the following year. I believe that it wasn't too long after that event that Shelley started showing symptoms of ALS. And from there, Shelley has truly been an inspiration, being incredibly open about her journey while tirelessly advocating and fundraising for the ALS cause. And to top it off, now she's written a book, Timeless Sisters, now available on Amazon. This weekend, I have the honor of interviewing Shelley about the book, her journey, and her life for this podcast, The Virtual Couch, and asked Shelley if it would be okay for me to put this on Facebook in hopes of getting additional questions for the interview, and she said no problem. So I, I had people reach out, send questions, and I worked those into the interview, but she truly is inspirational. So you're, you'll hear in this interview, um, and let me read from her website, ShellyHoover.com. She writes, In 2013, my neurologist told me I had two to five years to live. I was diagnosed with uh, um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, um, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Some call it that ice bucket challenge disease. She says, whatever you call it, it's a fatal diagnosis with no effective treatment or cure. Yet I have, I have much to live for, and I'm determined to live in gratitude and joy, regardless of circumstance. She says, I'm a wife, mother, grandmother, daughter, sister, and friend. I'm a veteran, an author, an educator, and an advocate. It's what I do. It's who I am. I feel alive when while I'm encouraging others to live their best life. Thanks for being on this journey with me. So um, please follow the link in the show notes of this interview, and I highly recommend buying her book, Timeless Sisters. We talk a lot about that in the interview. We also, again, talk a lot about her journey, the diagnosis, the challenges, even the stigma that she feels when she's around uh, others um, and, and how, she, how she can turn that around. Some truly inspirational things you're going to hear today. Um, and, I, and I think that uh, the book is incredibly well done. But uh, definitely look, be prepared to look at your own life and your circumstances a little bit differently after hearing how Shelley puts her own life in perspective. So uh, let's get to the interview with Dr. Shelley Cooper. Talking with half your tongue behind your back? Yeah, that ALS has begun to impact my mouth. Okay. And so the muscles in my tongue are atrophying. Oh. So I sound like I've had a couple glasses (laughs) of wine or my tongue is tied behind my back. Yes. I love it. And is your your, uh, mind just going a million miles an hour? So is that. It's hard. Yeah. 
I feel like um, I sound intoxicated mm. or um, like I have some intellectual right. challenges. Which, which, and, uh, which is about the funniest thing in the world right. with your, you know, a career in academia. Right. right. And um, so it's, um, it can be very humbling. Mm. Um, but I've always said I spoke too quickly and needed to slow down. So, <laughs> so, it's a, so um, this is a way to accomplish that. Right. right? It, yeah. You make it work. Yeah. Right? So um, are you okay if I even go out of order then? Whatever because you want. I love where we started there because obviously mm-hmm. I want to get into your book. But there mm-hmm. were a couple of quotes. Um, there were co- quotes in your book, Timeless Sisters. Mm-hmm. And I love when people put the quotes before a chapter. Yeah. Was that hard, by the way, to find the right quotes? No. I, well, I spent probably way too much time looking for the right quote but I wanted um, I think words are so powerful yeah and and carry a lot of weight and I wanted to get the reader in the right reference okay um, you nailed it I mean you did so maybe I'll jump right in with what you just said Uh about with your speech and even people making assumptions about you, mm-hmm. you had a quote in here, Easter Seal Society. Do you mm-hmm. know which one I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Right? The worst thing about a disability is that people see it before they see you. Yeah. And that just spoke to me. I mean, yeah. what, what's that been like for you? My joke that when my butt got into the wheelchair, uh-huh. I lost about 40 IQ points. Oh, just like the way people, the assumptions yeah. made or... Interact wow. or um, people will make decisions for me oh. about where I'm going to go or how I want to participate wow. and say, like, no, I, I'm I, right can, here, right? I can make those decisions <laughs> yeah. myself. So I assume good intentions. Yeah. I don't think people purposefully do that. Yeah. Or be even Janine experiences that where, oh, it's so nice you can get out. It's like, well, of course I right. can get out. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, that might be a nice place to jump into the book, too. You talk about Janine. Um, so Timeless Sisters is about Janine, Cora, and is it Amadei? Amadei. Amadei. Uh-huh. And they live in the same North Carolina town centuries apart. And I'm just going to read this little blurb because I think it uh, sets the stage. And, I have, and, and it's such a good book. Janine, a modern-day high school teacher, loses her career in the identity in the face of a devastating illness. And I think we were joking before. I think I know, I can guess where you pulled that right. inspiration, uh-huh. right? Um, Cora, an enslaved person during the Civil War, Please the Yarborough Plantation after her family is murdered. Um, and man, I didn't know it would get into it so quick in that one too, right? Yeah. In that, right in that first chapter when we, when we meet Cora. And then she finds refuge in Mama Hattie's house only to encounter the killer years later. And Amadei, a Cherokee before the European invasion, loses a child and her husband leaves. And she finds an unlikely love on a river adventure and returns to find trouble at home. So... Talk about, and I've never, I want you to know, I'm so excited to have this kind of an interview with you. Mm-hmm. I've never had the NPR type, you know, Shelley, tell me about your inspiration. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, but tell me about it. What, what brought uh-huh. this all together for you? Well, I think it's, oh, the overarching theme is the importance of relationship. Okay. And we all struggle, yeah. regardless of gender, ethnicity, uh, century, yeah, right. It's kind of the human condition, and we we're faced with choices. We can't necessarily 
change what happens to us, mm-hmm. but in how do we respond? Yes. And where do we choose to live? In bitterness, denial, yeah. anger, <laughs> um, or, and I think we live in all those places through a process. Okay. And then where do we want to live? Yeah. Right. And I choose joy, gratitude. And with the book, the women encourage each other uh-huh. that you're not alone. Yeah. Um, that we have each other and um, we can encourage each other to find that joy. I like what you're saying too, and this just hit me, and maybe this is a, I should have figured this out earlier, but mm-hmm. each one of the main characters, you're right, things happened to them. I mm-hmm. mean, so they could have, in essence, said, you know, throw their hands up and, well, what was I supposed to do? Right. Right? So, I mean, so talk about, maybe we jump into you and Janine. Similarities, mm-hmm. you know, what was that like writing about Janine? Her um, journey with ALS through falling mm-hmm. while she was running was by story. Uh, the diagnosis process okay. was my story. I didn't realize it had been that frustrating. Oh, yeah. It took a year. Wow. I mean, most people didn't know Yeah, because I had a weird limp and... Oh, something's wrong with my hip, you know, getting old. Right, get all the, all, right? the, all the good jokes ready there, right? right? It's like, oh, yeah. Um, but I think where we differ is my life's journey have prepared me mm-hmm. for a devastating illness. Wow. So I never asked why me. Okay. I thought, why not me? Wow. I have all the resources, support the VA, all these things um, to make my um, the most comfortable, accessible, and safe journey you could have. Okay. So given a terrible diagnosis like ALS, I have the best of circumstances surrounding that. So... um, our journeys were similar physically up to the point where she dies, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. plan on I know. doing okay. that. I wasn't going to do a spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's the reality. I made her progression and reality more typical of what a person with ALS would experience. Okay. When you say that you felt like things in your life have prepared you for this? What, mm-hmm. what, what kind of things? What does that mean? Well, I had um, great parents okay. who inst- I knew no matter what happened, I was loved mm. and had a safe place to land. Um, I had some uh, political drama happen professionally Okay, that nearly wiped me out but in the end it really wasn't about me Uh it was a power political play Uh and there was a lot of destruction in the wake okay Um, basically every secondary administrator was put on leave and fired oh wow by um a superintendent and 
I fought it and came out on top. Wow. But in the hindsight, I'm like, oh, bring it on, right? Yeah. Um, The the journey so often is not about us. Mm -hmm. It's what are we going to do for others through our journey. Wow. So even that that political drama, like you say, you came Mm -hmm. out of that and it was, okay, now have I set the stage for others or I've shown others they can do this too? And... um, I don't go into things taking it personally. I see. Where um, I think we create a lot of our own pain yeah. and drama by take, making things about us. Sure. When it's really not about us. Yeah. And now I always reflect and I'm in, very introspective. What can I learn? What can I do better? Yeah. But the big picture is about me. Okay. That, that yeah. is hard. I mean, as you know, put my therapist hat on, that is hard right. for people to not make these assumptions that everyone is, I mean, it sounds so cliched, but out to get them. Or, right. Right? Or, I mean, and you want to say at times, and it never sounds positive, but... I don't know if everyone is expending that much effort or calories on trying to ruin someone else's right. life, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I have to tell you, I spoke one time at this, uh, there were people that were, um, they had been divorced and they were newly in the dating world. And I was speaking at a conference and I thought I was going to be clever. And I said, one of the slides, I said, you're not all that in a bag of chips. And I thought that would be funny because I was saying hey, what we're talking about here. Don't, uh-huh. you know, get outside yourself. It's not if somebody drives by and they didn't look at you, it's not because they don't like you. Maybe they have things going on as well. Right. But boy, when you see you're not all that in a bag of chips, it doesn't right. really sound that positive. Right. right. <laughs> so, well, you know. here's something I learned in that journey is um, you can put a spiritual context mm. on that. And I was raised in a uh, Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a child of God yeah. and beloved. So much so that Jesus would die for me. Yeah. And I'm dust of the earth. Mm. Right? And yeah. finding balance in the tension of not understanding that. There's a lot of peace in that. Yeah. So I have self-worth. I don't beat myself up. I am valuable and I'm dust. Yeah. Which is such a, what, a paradox of sorts, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, that reminds me of actually a chapter in the book where, talking about at a nail salon, mm-hmm. um, where you were there with a friend or Janine was there with a friend uh-huh. and, and just talked about kind of almost having what felt like a panic attack, yeah. right? And, and really having this, this friend help the character Janine be present. Yeah. Was that based off of a real event or? Uh, not of my own. Okay. But I've... Um, been with others who struggle with that. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people today with the pressures and social media and all these expectations that we fixate on thoughts Mm -hmm. that uh, don't serve us and really paralyze us emotionally um, and spiritually and Keep us um, small, yeah, rather than living in peace and 
letting the light shine. So did you did you have experiences where you had to kind of learn those be present or mindfulness principles? Oh, that helped me in my ALS journey. So I guess it does relate to me in the sense of um, I learned I needed to learn to be mindfully present mm. because my body is basically paralyzed, my legs, my arms, and you can let your thoughts go nuts, yeah. right? Yeah. And if I think about the future mm. and dwell there, I can work myself up, mm. you know. Yeah. I was supposed to die five years ago. Wow. And good thing I didn't right. listen to yeah. the doctor, yeah. right? Yeah. Because um, I have a lot of life left to live. And if it is condensed, I want to put the most I can into okay. that life. So if I get to a place I process grief. Mm. I have to. I feel like okay. a master in grief processing. Wow. Um, because it is a story of loss, mm. right? Loss of function, loss of ability, loss of um, your identity and who you are. So you have to grieve. If you don't, it shows up like whack-a-mole, okay. right? <laughs> So, so good. I process it, but I don't stay there. How do you, and you say you become kind of a, a master at this processing of grief. Yeah. What do you think is the key? Because you're right. We go through so many things that uh, that do feel like loss, right? Yeah. All of us yeah. do, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's acknowledging it. Uh-huh. And I don't have to be okay. Okay. It's okay if I'm sad or frustrated. Yeah, I love that. If my arms worked, I would throw stuff, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. I can't. But I, again, if you don't acknowledge it, it's going to show up. Yeah. Yelling at your spouse or kicking your dog or, you yeah. know, it will show up. So, or eating your insides from mm. stress or anxiety or what however it shows up for you so I acknowledge it and I stay there as long as it serves me okay sometimes it's two minutes uh -huh. sometimes it's two hours if it's a biggie, yeah. like when I couldn't drive anymore, uh, I might be upset for a day. Uh, but it's a practice. Yeah. And so each time I deal with it, I can climb out more quickly. Yeah. And then I look around right now in this moment, what can I be grateful I like for? That. Yeah. Right? And yeah. My life is so abundant, and there's so much love and gratitude in my world. Mm. Why would I choose to stay unhappy? But I think the key to getting there mm. is being okay with not being okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I go on a one-minute just uh, soapbox? Because yeah. I love that you're saying this, and when people listen to this episode... So I'm a huge fan of a, something called acceptance and commitment therapy, mm -hmm. um, ACT, and, and it's a modality of therapy. But what it says is it, it isn't saying 
hey, you know, your your thoughts are negative or automatic negative thoughts, or you just need to change and and uh, just you know have this completely different thought experience. They mm-hmm. say that you have the thoughts you do because you're the only person on the earth that's had all the nature and the nurture and the abandonment and rejection and DNA and 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 loss and grief. Mm-hmm. And so, if you didn't feel the way you did, that something would be wrong. So right. like, I like what, so accept it. It's okay mm-hmm. to feel that way. Mm-hmm. But then like, what do you do with those thoughts? What do you do right. with those feelings? And I feel right. like you, you just, you know, embody that right now. Mm-hmm. I call it a snot face, ugly cry. And it's a release. Okay. Um, and I don't have to live there. Yeah. I can choose not to live there. Okay. So acknowledge it. It's there. I see you. I'll deal with you. Mm-hmm. And then what's next? I mean, Adapt, yeah. adjust, and it. find a new way of being or doing. So we were joking before I hit record about denial. You kind of laughed when we got to that <laughs> part. Um, I'm denying some things with my own physical limitations right now. Um, what was that denial process like? And maybe this is a good time to go back and... And, uh, and I don't know why I just want so badly to be a part of this story because mm-hmm. you meant so much when you came to that school, Glenn Edwards Middle School. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had shared this on social media, but the year before, I don't know, it just felt flat. You know, and this was, I, I tried to do this uh, run for the kids to raise money and, and mm-hmm. I don't know, awareness on physical fitness and it was okay, but it was, it just didn't feel like the, the, the event we wanted to feel like an income, mm-hmm. Shelly and, and you had Ray, Ray and this, right? And, mm-hmm. and you guys brought such life into Glenn Edwards Middle School. Do you remember what was that like for you that year when you came oh, in? Oh my gosh, I loved it. My goal as the leader of that school is I wanted staff and kids to want to come to school mm. and be there. And I had to lead by example, and I truly wanted to be there and make it a fun place. You could tell to learn, yeah. Right? And, I, and you, oh, the energy was incredible. And so yeah. here I was, I think year two of running twenty four hours around this track, mm-hmm. and I didn't really know much about you. I just heard mm-hmm. such amazing things, and and not only were you there, but you're like I'm running around the track with you, right? right? Do you remember that? Yes, oh, I loved I, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember how many laps we did. We had a couple. Not where it was just- much. <laughs> not much. I felt. Um, way out of shape yeah. and made a commitment to run right? more. And that's what I remember after, right? yeah, you did, and you spent the night there at the track and you yeah. had your motor home, I think was there. Yeah. And uh-huh. I mean, it was just incredible. And, uh, and I, and I think we had shared some conversation there and you said, all right, next year I'm, I'm running quite a bit with you. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And then I show up a year later and run with you in my wheelchair. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what was, do you remember how long after that was that experience? Did you have the, the first signs of, of ALS? It, well, looking back, yeah. I was having them then. Were you? Okay. Uh, the first time I really fell and laid it out like Jenny did yeah. in the book was um, that August. Oh, Okay. So just a few months later. Yeah, yeah. And what would you remember? What was that experience? Was oh, that- well, I just thought I was getting old. Okay. I mean, I'd always been active. Yeah. But I was 46. I thought, well, maybe <laughs> I'm slowing down. Um, and 
the not knowing was the worst part. Okay. It was because once I knew what it was, I thought, okay, now I can make a plan. I get you right. But the year of limbo is really a, there's no biomarker. It's a process of eliminating everything else. Wow. And I was perfectly healthy. Okay. Spine, you know, MRI scans. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with you. And wow. I'm like, why am I falling down? Yeah. And then I was begging to be validated. Okay. What was that like? How so? What was that like? Oh, because I literally was falling, losing strength, um, and doctors would do their exams and there's nothing wrong. So you want somebody to tell you there's, here's why there's some, yeah. I remember after a a spinal uh, tap where they, a lumbar puncture Mm -hmm. praying it was MS. Wow. Okay. Cause if it wasn't, I knew then it was probably going to be ALS. Okay. Uh, And, And then what, when you found that out, what was that like? I mean, I was in denial okay. for a long time. I thought, no. I am invincible. I've never been sick. Yeah. I've never had any. Um, but being an overachiever, if yeah. I'm going to get sick, <laughs> I'm going to get this. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, it, was, um, it was devastating mm. because most people die within 18 months. Wow. And I thought, wow, I've got not a lot of time left. Okay. I'm an outlier that I'm past my sixth year. Wow. um, And the five is a really long lifespan. Mm. So I thought, well, there's hope now. Yeah. There's some treatments in trials um, where people are getting out of their wheelchairs. Wow. Okay. Uh, so I hope isn't a strategy, mm-hmm. but it's a fuel. Okay. Right? I like that. Hope's a fuel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are you are you are you participating in some of those kind of? I have. Yeah. I've done a half a dozen different okay. trials. I've actually had the disease too long. They don't want me in their trials. They're afraid you'll die. Okay. And then it's bad for their numbers. Oh, wow. Okay. So is that another, okay, just back to present, what you can do now? Right. Yeah. And I think if I keep myself physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, as healthy as I can, yeah. then the ALS will have to fight that much harder to it. get me down. Yeah, right? yeah. So what, I mean, and you had mentioned earlier, and I love, I love, you know, the, I love when people really turn to faith. I mean, what's your mm-hmm. faith been like? I mean, that's been, has that been challenged? You said that you've never really mm-hmm. had the why me? Why right. It's been the why not me. Right. Yeah. Um, it's been a process Mm. I think um, becoming someone who you would call severely disabled Mm. um, from a very capable 
functioning person yeah. um, has given me empathy mm. um, at a level that um, I don't think you can have without being in that position. So I, it's been a very um, humbling process where even from a religious perspective, if I thought I had it figured out, yeah. the more I know now is I don't know a thing. Okay. Right? Yeah. I really don't. I, I have my um, faith that gives me strength and purpose. Um, but boy, it is from, well, I, someone told me once, you can't be humble mm. without feeling humiliated. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought, wow, yeah. there's some real truth There in is, that. right? And so once you're flat on the ground like that, it gives you um, a different perspective. Mm. So I would say, yeah, my faith is been a stronghold of um, things to, well, it's that foundation of stone rather than sand. Yeah, yeah. But my um, practice of that, I've moved around a little simply because I'm looking at life from a very different perspective. Okay. Things that used to be really important and on my radar mm-hmm. don't even show up. Okay. And is that one of those where you said you mentioned it, it, you wouldn't, it's one of those people wouldn't know what they don't know? I mean, right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So is that hard sometimes to even express that or talk about how things have changed or shifted? Yeah, I think um, my community has shifted. Mm. I'm probably more liberal in my thinking now, not necessarily, well, politically, but liberal in terms of uh, grace and um, not quick to judge. Because my life was pretty good in my privileged, accessible world. Mm. And so I, um, I don't, um, I don't place judgment or expectations on others that I may have in the past. See, and I I love that. And I actually, I appreciate the interview even going this way. This is so, I mean, I think this will touch a lot of people's lives as well. I mean, and kind of going back to that this acceptance and commitment therapy modality, mm-hmm. oftentimes I can't lie, and I'll, I'll kind of put it out there too, I feel like when you mentioned earlier you have a savior that died for you, I feel like that mm-hmm. that's where I kind of tap into that as well. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the epitome of that atonement where mm-hmm. you know he died for us because um, he's the only one that really can understand what we are going through because mm-hmm. until we're in that situation, right. we, we don't know what we're going to do or think or feel. or Right. right? So I, I, I love what you're saying. I think it is... A lot of people do find it easy to kind of judge, even if we say we're not. Right. right? But right. because we're from this place where, well, I mean, they should just think this or feel this way. Or, right. But man, until you've been in a situation like that, right? how would anybody know? Right. Yeah. No, that's, I love that. Um, yeah. the, the concept of, uh, you know, so we kind of talk about denial. Um, do you feel like that denial as far as in, in your book? I mean, how did you write that into 
the book because I think your characters, it's like they almost all had to process pretty quickly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's a fast moving. Yeah, which is so good for, for me in particular. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been a lot bigger. Um, I think that um, the I think the person with the most denial mm-hmm. is Tom, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, Janine's husband was like. This isn't even happening. Yeah, as he's watching her deteriorate. Yeah, um, because he can't handle it. Right, it's the, almost like what he had to do in his mind to kind of right. make sense of things. Yeah, which ironically and, is to deny almost. Yeah, and wow. I don't think that that's a bad place to live. Right. And, um, I don't know if it's healthy to stay there, Mm -hmm. but it's a good um, protection, I think, sometimes. In my world, we call it experiential avoidance. So, you know, it's like, I'll go do this thing or this thing, or I'll distract with this thing. And the brain's almost saying, no, I'll deal with that when things are better. But it's this ambiguous, what does better mean? So so it kind of keeps us away from that present moment. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, it can... And and I think that is where we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I laugh that even my first grade teacher said, I remember the conference, Shelly's really smart. She just has a hard time holding still. <laughs> right? And always moving, always yeah. going. And now my physical body won't move. Yeah. And... Wow, be still and know that I'm God. Yeah, right? Wow, you had to get literal, didn't we? Exactly, I mean, because I've read that a hundred times, but because I'm like, oh, I can think I can even remember that one, but you you know what that means. Right? I mean, I can think it means be still, okay, I did it for a few seconds, I'm good, but no, so that's, is that maybe an example of how faith can shift or those things can take on more meaning? Yeah. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Oh, go ahead. Well, I... Hope, I plan for the worst, but hope and live in the that everything's gonna be fine. Yeah. And yeah. today, everything is fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk to me about the now. Even thinking about having to sit still, right? And then mm-hmm. the the writing process. And so, w- did mm-hmm. that make things easier or harder to have that much, you know, in your mind? Oh, my brain goes a thousand miles an hour and my eyes type, you know, a letter every three seconds oh, or is so. Oh, that what it is? Okay. And so it's called the eye gaze technology. I wow. love it. It's a surface tablet uh-huh. with a camera that follows my eyes. Wow. And my eyes become the mouse where wow. I can click, double click, click and drag, right click, and and then um, a keyboard. I look at the letter and dwell on it, uh-huh. and it will select the letter. I had no idea. Yeah, that's how I type them. 
Okay. Now I feel bad when I'm, hey, tell me uh, some long-winded answer to something oh. I just asked, Shelly. <laughs> I've got lots of time on my... Yeah. Okay, so then that writing process, and, mm-hmm. and I know I started, I couldn't wait to ask you questions when I got in the door. We weren't recording right. yet, but hey, when did the book idea first come to you? What was that, pro- how long, how long was that process? Well, I've known since my earliest memories that I was going to write a book. Okay. It was a done deal Mm. in my head. Um, And I had no idea what it was about. I figured it would be educational or how do we close the achievement gap or, (laughs) you know, where my mind always was. And then I've always, my greatest joy my whole life has been how do I help other people see how amazing they are? Mm. Can they see themselves through my eyes or even better through the eyes of God? Yeah. How amazing you are. When the world has beat them up right. their whole lives and I'm like, no, you are amazing. Mm. And have you can do great things and whatever that means to you, right? And so I was going to write a, a nonfiction, How to Find Joy and Gratitude. Okay. And, and somebody said, nobody wants to be told what to do. So you have to make it a story. Okay. It's almost like a parable of sorts. Or, right. Okay. How do you take bad circumstances and overcome? Mm-hmm. And how do you... Um, Change the tape that or the CD or that plays in your head. Yeah, that's not the story you want to be living. So I start thinking about grandmothers, sisters. These characters popped into my head. Okay, and would not leave. Really. I thought I'm either gonna have to take meds or get their story out. Yeah. So they walked around with me for three or four years wow. through the process. I had to learn how to write creatively okay. versus academically. Thank goodness, because <laughs> academic writing is awful. Well, how did you Necessary. learn that? How did you learn to be creative? I mean, that with with your writing, because it was. And I, I was telling you before we uh-huh. recorded, my wife and I were reading the first chapter together, and uh-huh. and and it was just like. Man, this is good. You know, I mean, it was really, I just remember, again, I go back to pebbles in the palm and the, right. and all this and the smells and the day, all that. And how yeah. did you, how'd you do that? Well, I read a lot of books. Okay. Listened to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. I think I got a, uh, a mini, um, like an institute of fine art writing, you know, fine yeah. arts, um, just by reading and listening and then writing it and going, oh, that's awful. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I got to go back and fix that. <laughs> that's going to be hard on the recorder there, my bad. Um, and the, I re- have rewritten the book several have times because okay. the first draft was awful and it didn't have character development didn't and it? Okay. Um, that type of thing yeah. and it was so 
I had to learn. And after probably the fourth or fifth major rewrite, uh-huh. um, the characters left. Oh. They quit talking oh, to me. Oh, wow. And I thought, okay, it must be ready. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was worried that was going to be a, uh, wait a minute, where'd they go? Uh, no, okay. no, I was done. <laughs> okay, it was good. Well, yeah. okay, so now let's talk about the, first of all, um, is North Carolina significant to you? No, not personally. Um, I love the Eastern Band of Cherokee. Mm. They have a very interesting story. When um, the Trail of Tears was going on, they were able to work with the federal government and basically lease or buy their own land from the government. It's called the Kuala Boundary. It's still there today. Oh, wow. With a tribe um, of people. And I thought, what strength and character and Mm. connection with the earth. And I've been fascinated with the simplicity and richness of their life. Okay. That I spent a year learning what I could about um, those people. Uh-huh. And I wanted the connection to be the river. Okay. So it made okay. sense having the other people there. The, that makes a lot of sense, too, of when you were writing about Amadei. It's Amadehi. Yeah. Amadehi. I felt like, you know, I wondered how did you nail where even things were inside of their living quarters and the, yeah. the things that they did for courting and the things that, I mean, all of that. So that was just a, a lot of intense a study. Lot, a lot of study. And then hope that the person who wrote it down uh-huh. oh, uh, yeah. was correct. Yeah. And I really wanted to honor their way of life and tradition. Yeah. Um and see it through their lens. Yeah. Um, and I did the best I could not understanding enough about their culture. Yeah. Um, but had some folks read it and said, "Is at least is it not offensive? Okay. And then uh, the, the feedback was good? Yeah. Awesome. And um, yeah. same thing with Cora. Okay. Right? I wanted to, um, even with writing in a more contemporary dialogue uh-huh. and not necessarily a dialect yeah. that a young slave uh, person might use, I didn't want anyone to make assumptions about their intelligence okay. or resourcefulness based on dialect. Okay, And I don't have the... Um, the understanding or really even the right uh, to do that because I'm not a part of that sure. culture. So I did the uh, the best I could to honor and uh, respect the culture. Wow. Uh, I think you did a great job. Oh, I mean, that's nice you. to... It's, it's just neat to hear how much went into that because yeah. I think that's the things maybe someone wouldn't think about as, right. they're, as they're just reading through a book. Right. right. Um, so did you say you told me four years? It was from outline to publish was four years. Yeah. So um, was the was there ever a time where you thought, okay, this isn't going to make it to print or? 
about every other day. Okay. I think in the editing process, you read and you go, wow, that's not too bad. <laughs> and then you read and go, oh my gosh, that is garbage, right? <laughs> so, um, the, uh, well, telling myself that I could do it, yeah. right? I think a lot of us have books in us. Yeah. And the only thing that separates those who publish and those who don't is a dogged perseverance to get through the edits. Yeah. Over and over and over. Do you feel like now that you've done it, you feel like you could do it again? Oh, yeah. I've got a book half done and another one in the works. And... um, Hopefully, I've learned a lot the first time around um, that I won't make um, planning or mistakes I did in the first one. Yeah. Are you talking about your next books yet? Oh, yeah. I'm writing a book with my mother. Oh, wow. um, About my grandma. Okay. Do you want a short Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's called In Ruby's Shoes. Okay. Ruby was actually the catalyst for the book about grandmas oh. and my beloved grandma. I want to be just like her. Wow. She is amazing. I call her my grandma, Proverbs 31. <laughs> um, so in Ruby's shoes, Ruby is moving into an assisted living center. Okay. And going through boxes with her great-granddaughter, and they find a box of shoes. Hmm. And each chapter, the grandma pulls out shoes and then tells the story behind the shoes. That's nice. And so that has been so fun. My mom's in Tucson, but we write it together online. Yeah. And then the sequel, Ten Timeless Sisters. Okay, good. Um, Hannah, obviously, is yeah. left right where she finds her mother's um, talisman. And um, it's going to be about the Chicago fire. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's coming. And then. That is awesome. I don't know if you saw my tweet that went viral. The one where there was a little bit of uh, colorful language? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that, Shelly. I feeling sassy. <laughs> and so I talked, somebody was asking for, um, instead of, you know, 20-year-olds who are great, let's look at some people who have lived life and... <laughs> Um, so I thought, well, heck yeah, I'm a grandma for 54 years young. I'm a veteran yeah. and just published my first book. And I typed that bleep with my <laughs> eyes. Literally. Yeah, and Twitter went nuts. Yes. And uh, I'm bored panda and all. So someone commented, you have to write a memoir okay. and call it I Type That Bleep with my eyes. <laughs> so that's... That'd be good. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's a plan that's in the works too? Well, it's book four. Okay, so, okay. Yeah. No, it's not that so... I was going to ask you about that tweet, so that's kind of fun. I'm glad that we got to that too. Um, so, all right, do you... Uh, this is so good. I'm, and, I'm, and I don't know why I'm so excited there's going to be a sequel to the Timeless Sisters book too. Um, the Can I go to another quote that we sure. talked a little bit about? I want to maybe jump back to identity. Um, 
Eric Erickson, in the social jungle of human existence, mm-hmm. and, and again, this is quotes that you had before the chapters, um, so right. I think I'm just pulling this out of thin air, right? Uh, in, the, in the social jungle of human existence, there is no feeling of being alive without a sense of identity. Mm-hmm. So how, how why, I, here's the therapist who wants to say, tell me about that, because I want to say, mm-hmm. has your identity shifted? What has that been like? But, but right. tell me about that. What does that quote mean to you? Why did you choose that one? Well, I think, you know, we all yearn for a sense of purpose. Yeah. And how do I make a difference and to whom? And I want to have a, you know, it's really a question of legacy, Mm. right? And as we get older, traveling the river of denial, (laughs) what does that look like, right? And I was always Shelly the teacher, Shelly the principal, um, the real active, high energy, on the go. Um, Somebody told me once, you can judge the worth of a principal by the wear on their shoes. Oh, wow. And I thought, yeah, I went through a lot of shoes. So uh, now what is my identity? And that's kind of Janine was the queen of the wolf pack. Right. um, Everybody's favorite teacher. And who is she now? Yeah. And what's that going to look like? So I have found I can still serve my purpose of loving and encouraging other people um, from my chair or with my eyes. And I've even recorded my voice. So if that goes, I'll still be able to type with my eyes and it will speak in that voice so oh, I love it in through that process it's more less about what I can do and more about who I can be okay yeah the um and again I hate to go back to this therapy modality I do uh-huh. but they talk about your values are really about your yeah the things that the sense of being or mm-hmm. so and and those are if we aren't living by our values then that's when we feel like there's this this almost this uh, disconnection and then we right. feel like we're always chasing after what other people think we should do or say or feel or right. so I mean it sounds like this is a way I mean, you continued to tap into your value of mm-hmm. of being mm-hmm. right. Um, do you have any, I have to ask you too, the, I love how you just said the wearing out your shoes. I mean, do you have any mm-hmm. memories of gyms that kind of come to mind? I know a lot of people that are going to listen to this were, were there mm-hmm. in that day. Because I do remember not just the track stuff that was pretty incredible, but um, back in those times I would go to try to promote the run from time to time. Uh-huh. And I, you were never in your office. I mean, right. Where would you go? I mean, I was oh, she's everywhere. Right? In the classroom. Yeah. I loved walking into a room and I would never look at the teacher because yeah. I know they're great doing their thing. And I'd say, what are the kids doing? Uh-huh. Are they engaged? Are they interacting? I hope they're out of their seat and running to show a friend something they discovered. Or, um, But I couldn't... Um, lead a school from the front office. Okay. Right. Emails, phone calls, those can happen when the kids are gone. Wow. Um, Yeah. Um, Do you, and if 
forgive the, this can sound cliched and a little bit cheesy, mm-hmm. but I mean, do you have advice for people that maybe are hearing this and, and they're starting to deal with things like a, a diagnosis mm-hmm. or, or maybe mm-hmm. the shift in identity or, or do you have advice mm-hmm. for them? Um, read my book. Yes, no. right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the, um, gosh, that's an excellent question. I think, um, you have to take time to uh, kind of reflect and give yourself time to not be okay. Okay. Right? You got to be mad. You're going to, and it could be the stages of grief, right? right? Like the Ross, it's like, yeah. um, and that's not a linear process. Exactly, right? right? And then for those, I'm so glad you missed that. We got, we got DABDAs, right? Denial, anger, bargaining, right, depression, right? acceptance. But you're right. You can go back and forth from those all the time. Bounce all day long, right? Yeah. So um, I, it goes back to one of the first things we talked about in that it's not all about you. Yeah. And that's a hard pill to swallow, <laughs> right? Because we're so ego-driven. Yeah. And we're like a toddler. Well, of course it's about me, yes. right? And I don't think ALS has anything to do with me. Yeah. I think it's a circumstance. Um, and life is hard. Yeah. Life is unfair. Life is a box of chocolates, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Um, and th- so what are you going to do with that? Yeah. And it's very empowering to understand that I'm in control of how I respond and how I choose to live. That I'm victorious, not a victim. Yeah. As long as I stay a victim, or to your listeners, if you choose to stay a victim, you will be dependent on outside influences to change your situation, right? But if I'm not a victim of circumstance, then I'm the one who gets to choose how to live or respond differently. Yeah. Are you familiar with, that's beautiful, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with, uh, it's M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. Do you know this book? Mm-hmm. So that one starts out by saying uh, life is difficult. And then once we understand life is difficult, then the fact that it's difficult no longer matters. Right. And I think you just summed that up. Because mm-hmm. now it's like, okay, there's the given. So now what do we do about it? Right. right. And I just love that. You're, you're living that. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're epitomizing that. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for joining me on yeah. this. I, I was, I don't know, I've been wanting to interview for a long time. And then that book came out and I just yeah. thought, okay, this is perfect. And then I had, I just, I don't know. I didn't even realize that how much your book would flow with your experience and life. And, and mm-hmm. the, oh, okay. One more quick question. Sure. The, how did you come up with the, this is going to be almost embarrassing. I might edit this part out of my own <laughs> confession here, but I mean, I, I love, I love I love, uh, it sounds so funny to say, I love time travel books. I mean, uh-huh. I do, and I love books about the South and, and the plantations. I mean, you kind right. of had all of it, and, but it wasn't time travel. But I mean, it was going back and forth amongst the, right. the generations. Mm-hmm. Where did you come up with, I mean, you said those characters came to you. Was that mm-hmm. hard to, to then weave them into each other? Or did that surprise you that you had these characters from different generations? Um, well, I wanted to 
illustrate that regardless of century, mm. circumstance, ethnicity, religion, the human experience Perfect. is the same. Whether we have rivers and teepees, whether we have cell phones and computers, right. whether we have, right? We have the same heartache, the same love, the yeah. same joy. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I, Dr. Hoover, yes. like Shelly, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. My pleasure. And so um, I'll have links of where people can go buy the book. Um, if people don't buy the book, it's kind of, I, I don't understand, <laughs> especially after reading this uh, or listening to this interview. And I uh, can't wait for your next books as well. Thank you. Thank you. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and